0: This is Tell Me What to Read, the podcast of Booktopia.com.au. I'm Nick Vasiliev, and I'm delighted to be back for another Friday discussion. And this time, we're back with another student special. This week, I'm delighted to have two members of the Australian Medical Students Association, or AMSAR, joining us to talk about the books that we are reading and enjoying through the magic of Zoom. Please welcome Guy Jeffrey, who is Vice President External for AMSAR. Hello, Guy. Hello, thanks for having us. And Tara Sudamana, Vice President of AMSA. Welcome, Tara.
1: Thank you.
0: Um, so for, for context for all of our listeners who might not be familiar with what AMSA does, you are a key peak kind of representative body covering, uh, looking after over 17,000 medical students. Guy,
2: I'll throw to you first, what, what sort of work do you get up to? I will we sort of just do everything we can to represent medical students across the across the country, be that what it may. Um we sort of have a history of being an events organization and having throwing these wild events that bring in amazing speakers and try to inspire everybody um and you know have a lot of fun, make a lot of friends. Um but we've grown into lots, lots more than that. We do a lot of advocacy, um, we do we have communities, we we represent um medical students who you know with special needs and things like that um
0: i suppose it'll be a lot of fun you would be going from from university to university and talking and engaging with with medical students what's kind of one misconception uh about medical students or people within that space that that people still have uh out of curiosity
2: Honestly, I feel like all of the stereotypes about medical students are entirely true. <laughs> um, <laughs> we all study too hard. We all have terrible mental health. Um, we're all nerds. Like, sleep. <laughs> I don't know. You got any terror?
1: Yeah, I think there's that um, image of us being in a dark, dingy room, reading textbooks and having no real human skill or connection to the world. Um, and I think AMSA does, you know, deb- debunk those preconceptions. Um I think it's a really, really um, special, like it's a really special space for students to be able to really express themselves and uh, express themselves and just like their their passions and interests. Like Guy was mentioning, um, medical students are interested in things beyond just medicine itself. There's climate change, there's mental health, there is um, things like just refugee health and there's just a lot of aspects to it. And I think a lot of the times, what medical students find are uh, that we are confined to this, this kind of label as a medical student, even in the hospital, we're so limited in our scope and our ability and our abilities and what we're expected to do and what we can do and what we can say, given just the hierarchy of it all. And just being able to have that space where we as medical students were in control and we can like do what we want. We can have projects and actually make them happen and have some kind of ownership and leadership over what we want to do and how we want to go moving forward I think that's truly special and that really does build character and I think makes a huge difference for hopefully Doctors of Tomorrow as well cheesy as that sounds Doctors (laughs) of Tomorrow
2: (laughs) thanks thanks for that you put that so much better than I I even tried to
0: (laughs) it also I think it's great that on top of it, just highlighting the amount of work that is required and kind of the different spaces and characters that exist within the medical space as well. Um, And so many people, I think, have many preconceptions or ideas about it that I think can be A little incorrect. I mean, I was lucky enough to kind of work in in medical technology space in the past before I started working at Booktopia. And many, and there were so many people who, you know, whenever you would bring that up would just make assumptions about the industry that I think were correct or to the point of almost being a little bit like damaging to assume that that people within that, in that space, you know, work this way and, and communicate things this way, whereas in fact it is a A very complicated um, and much more you know diverse space and kind of isolating health just to the hospital, whereas in fact health plays a part in all of our lives in every day. In everyday spaces in everyday places Whenever you look at it Um, it's something that should be examined and and critiqued a lot more beyond just the hospital board or the doctors, you know. uh, You know the doctor's appointment room or wherever equivalent is there. And I've noticed as well that there there are a lot of books coming out about this sort of stuff. Um, I think, you know, I know you're going to be talking about, Terry, you're going to be talking about Cody Finley's Growing Up Disabled in Australia. Um, Mm -hmm. And there was also books like uh, Dr. Yumika Kododa's uh, emotional female, which came out last year, which was a very biting examination of the of the surgeon space uh, in, in and the space within there. Do you think, Tara? I'll, I'll throw this this question to you. Do you think we're, in terms of, just as a society in general, we're getting better at examining and recognizing the challenges that people in the medical profession faces, or do you think we still have a way to go?
1: I I would sit on both ends of the fence with that um, that question. I think we are definitely getting heaps better, but the gap is just so big that there is so much further for us to go as well. Uh, and I think the f- we've we've reached a real milestone now that we're able to actually um uh, we're able to acknowledge that there is a deficiency in that area and that doctors and medical students are struggling, and that welfare is a huge issue that's like overlooked and. Um, that continues to be a barrier between doctors being able to really reach their full potential as as physicians but also as people so yeah I think I think we've noticed like almost the extent at which this is eating at this this specialty and this group of people Um, but I think now that we've noticed it we've noticed how gaping this this gap is so I think there's a lot of potential. I'm very excited.
0: I hope so, and it's it'll it'll be great to to not just to 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 you know challenge or, or close that gap, but also to highlight, like you mentioned earlier, the fact that doctors uh and you know patient doctors and nurses and and everyone in the medical sector, um, it's not just about medical stuff. There's a lot of other things as well that can be brought in and incorporated, and that they have a lot to say, um. Let's dive into the kind of the book side of things on the subject of kind of other interests and spaces. Um, Guy, what I kind of want to know what what books that you guys both go for um, generally. Guy, what's what's your kind of book background? What what books do you like to read?
2: I I, I guess I should probably preface this with saying I'm I'm absolutely one of those people that can identify as a terrible reader. Um, I was, yeah. <laughs> um i was one of those people in school that was yeah like forced to read and that really turned me away from it and i think i'm only sort of starting to pick up um a love for books now but i think it's interesting because that's sort of combined with a a, you know a love for public health and a love for things that surround the health space and so i think a lot of the books that i go for kind of i don't know have a sort of political direction or or a way that kind of ties into health um yeah i guess yeah
0: it's yeah not surprised it's because I mean there's there's so many fantastic books out there at the moment that, that kind of dive into that space Tara are you kind of similar or do you look at kind of books as like a escapism sort of thing do you go like oh yeah look I, I I touch on health the whole time but my reading space is where I just go and chill the f out
1: absolutely um I think my beginning started very similar to Guy um I was always that kid in primary school that would just, like, fudge the parents' signatures, um, be like, oh, I read this book, I read that book, just in my diary, just so that it would, like, kind of be there. Um, but over time, like, I think especially when COVID hit and, like, pre that as well, there started, book clubs started to become a thing, like, virtual book clubs. And I think I've always been someone that's, like, craved community. I really enjoy that and to have an excuse to kind of be around people and discussing something similar and something that's more than just hey how you doing like what's what's going on in your day like something a little beyond that and trying to gauge their like creative perspective on things really excites me so um i think that's what drew me towards books so in the beginning it really wasn't me choosing the type of books i was reading it was more my way of connecting to a community but also my way of getting to know people so When I really admire someone and respect someone as a friend or uh, whatever that may be, a mentor, I do love like (laughs) looking through their Goodreads or just like kind of just like going off their recommendations because I think it's a really good way to get to know people. And, you know, sometimes like I, like the people that I do respect, don't actually read the best books in my opinion. Um, And that's fine. That's like something you learn. There are differences in the book world as well. Um, So that's where it started. And then it shifted towards Like I was in my preclinical years and COVID was hitting, I wasn't really understanding medicine and like what I was doing in it because I wasn't really um, as engaged as I felt like I should have been uh, in the course because I was just not able to link the what I was learning in the present to where I was meant to kind of end up. Um, And because of that, I started to use books as a means to bridge that connection. Um, and to help me understand and like try to arouse a little bit more of a curiosity, interest and excitement for that future um, in medicine uh, and also help me to kind of understand like where in medicine I belong, because I know some people seem to know and I still can't figure it out. So it was a little bit of that at one stage that was probably like 2019 me Um And then after that, as soon as I got into like clinical placements, I was stopped reading any kind of medical book at all because I was like, I have enough of this in like placement. Like, I don't want to go to placement to learn medicine, then to go home to do more medicine. So I started to crave more kind of like Murakami and like um, authors like that, where it was just like so different from the world I live in, in a totally different culture where it was written in a style that was so different to medicine and so abstract and made no sense. And I didn't understand, but it was just so feel good. And yeah. So like, I think I've, I go through different stages uh, with books and hopefully that kind of summarizes <laughs> like where, uh, where I'm at right now. I don't know. I'm just picking up whatever books people have recommended to me and reading bits and pieces, but
2: yeah.
0: What a journey. Oh my God.
2: I love <laughs> yeah. it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I feel like your story is very, very similar to one that a lot of a lot of medical students have and something that yeah. we probably don't talk about enough in that a lot of people go into medicine. You know, medicine's a huge field. It's, it's, you know, not everybody goes in knowing exactly what they want to do. And in a lot of ways, knowing exactly what you want to do means you can be quite close minded to all the opportunities that are out there. And so I feel like a lot of people really go through this process and this journey of figuring out what what do they want to do what is their place in this world even just within sort of the niche of medicine and yeah I think I think it's really good to explore that
0: yeah it is and I for one am loving the idea of if you seeing someone you respect and seeing what books they read that is a genius idea I feel like I'm I'm gonna steal that use that and just please do and do an examination on any every single person i know and be like yeah but what what books are you reading
1: psychoanalyze
0: um, them <laughs> go full psychoanalysis on yeah, them send I, also,
1: up the reports.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I also hear with interest that there is that you are the the driver of when we were doing like meetings and setting ups for for this podcast that you're the driver of the amsar book club it's on the subject of book clubs that that you have an in-house team book club um, uh.
1: Um, I can't take credit for the book club at <laughs> all. I have to say, um, Jazz is the driver, Jazz is our president. And she was the one who started this phenomenal like idea of a book club within AMSA. And I don't know how she juggles it. Like last year, she was the role of like, um, like this, like projects officer, which is like kind of like volunteer engagement and things like that. And she started the book club, but she's maintained it till this year as president managing everything that you can imagine a president. I, I, there's no point in me listing it out because we'll be here for a while. Um, But yeah, Jazz pretty much like posts a book each month or every two months and then encourages us to come into a discussion and she'll come up with different questions for us to talk about. And it's just always so interesting because everyone always just brings in their experiences. And obviously we've got like very similar experiences. So there's a lot of like agreement But also very different experiences because we're all from just different parts of Australia and just with different backgrounds and like histories. Uh, And yeah, she always just keeps it very like exciting. And it's just one of those like times in the month that you just get very, very um, excited for. Like last month, we read Dark Emu. uh, And that was, um, for those who don't know, it's pretty much like a book written on just the in like history of like indigenous agriculture in Australia and a little bit more about the history from, um, like factual history on indigenous Australia from a perspective that we haven't heard it from. It's written in a way that is quite like factual and like very just like, they just throw facts at you. It's almost like walking through a museum of facts. And like, it just, it's a book that I love the cover of. I picked it up in the airport once and I really enjoyed it. Um, well, no, no, sorry, that's a lie. I ha- I hated it at first, but I really wanted <laughs> to like it. I really wanted to like it at first, um, but I didn't. So I put that book down and then two years later, Jazz is like, Oh, we're reading it for book club. And I was like, Well, I like this book club. I want to still be part of this community, so I gotta read this book. So I like went through it and read it and eventually really grew to love the book. And I think that really spoke volumes to like the perspective that you jump into when reading a book. Cause I think i jumped into that book expecting just like an easy read like i wanted to be spoon-fed i wanted it to be simple like placement at the time was like i think i was like in ed so i was like quite like just placement was heavy it was like a lot of work um and i just wanted to go home and relax and read this book and this book is not the type that you relax on it's literally you are walking through a museum of facts and you are absorbing each fact and it might take you a day to process a page but you kind of got to do it And then by the end of it, like, I think it took me like 52 pages to actually finally start to really enjoy the book. And it's just when I shifted that perspective from wanting kind of like an easy, like abstract fantasy to actually wanting to absorb and wanting to learn and taking that mindset of how I would read a textbook into this book that I actually got to enjoy it. Bit of a like tangent, but hopefully that kind of describes like, how good a book club can really be it can really challenge you to read things that are not what you would normally read and like not conventionally your your style um and you can learn a lot from that as well so yeah credit to jazz who's still pushing through with that and keeping that going
0: and and just as a small piece of advice for anyone in general if you want a good indication of the quality of the place that you're working check if they have a book club if they have a exactly. book club, then everything, is, then everything is good. All is good. Five out of five. Yeah. I'm slightly biased, but, you know, it's the truth of it. Um, Just <laughs> uh, Let's dive into the books that you brought along uh, this week and that you're reading and enjoying. Um, Tara, I'll, I'll throw it to you first because I'm really excited to hear about the books that you've brought along.
1: Absolutely. So uh, the book that I brought along, um, it's not a physical copy. Um, I brought The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. Which was one of the very first books I read. I think this was around 2019, and it got me really into reading. It's written by Oliver Sacks, who's a British neurologist, and it just rolls off the tongue so effortlessly. I wouldn't have expected this from a neurologist who's so like well-renowned, who's so intelligent. I would have expected more like a fact museum write-up, but it wasn't. It's pretty much like a case, a series of case histories. I think is about. 24 of them um, about patients who are exhibiting uh, like just a compelling world of neurological disorders and it ranges from like one of the patients like just stopped being able to recognize that his leg was a part of him and he just kept waking up in the hospital bed noticing that there's this there's this like cold hairy leg that's just there that's like in his bed and that he's just trying to get rid of. So he literally tries and roll, like tries to roll over and like push his leg off. And to his surprise, he his body seems to topple over with this leg as well. Uh, and, you know, it's explored through the lens of um, Sachs, who is the neurologist, but also integrates like a huge portion of patient perspective. And I think that's what makes it so beautiful because It really takes that idea of medicine and like medicine being about the person and really takes it to a literal level. Um, It really is Oliver Sacks demonstrating to us how to be a good physician and how to really care about the patient. And his books obviously were written so long ago and some of the concepts there are probably outdated at this stage, but the human aspects of it have carried through to this date and still carry through and are still true and I think that just shows the power of what happens when you treat your patients like humans which I mean it seems intuitive but I think in a busy fast-paced environment where you are trying to under pressure regurgitate all the things that you've learned in medical school for the past like four to six years it can be a lot more difficult than Um, than you would expect so there's just a lot a lot um, to actually have to do with in the moment so it's just really cool to see him like recount just his experiences with these 24 patients and he breaks down these neurological um, disorders into four categories so four sections of the book which I like I love I love good structure in a book it just makes it so much easier to follow and to just like know where you're at and like to to go back to the book and like find it because I ended up downloading like a PDF version to kind of see where I was at. Um, So he like separates it into four sections. So losses, which is talking about deficits in some functions neurologically. Um, Excess, when you have a neurological impairment that leads to a superabundance of some functions. So things like Tourette's, which is where you can have like physical vocal tics. Um, And then he defines a third one as being transport. So that's when you have like a dreamlike experience of nostalgia or reminiscence of like an early memory. So this could be like having a temporal lobe seizure. So a seizure where you're starting where you can hear music or you can start to hear different things. And then the last section is where he starts to describe the world of the simple. So that's just patients that have extreme mental deficits. So that could be things like intellectual disability. Um, so yeah, I thought it was just a really, really well done in the way that he wrote it. It was written in a way that was not your conventional case study. Like I, one of the textbooks that I enjoy reading in medical school is a hundred cases in medicine and they've got one for like all different medicines. So there's obstetrics, there's pediatrics, and it just goes through case studies of patients and the only information about the patient they give you is oh 24 year old female and then everything else is about the disease whereas when Oliver Sacks does it it's just all about the patient and the disease just happens to weave the story together so it's it's really cool in the way that like he does it and he just like incorporates like all these like conventions of drama and it's honestly like a case study with a literary narrative embedded throughout. Like, it's how you imagine a storybook to be. It's line by line dialogue, and it's talking about very specific experiences that he has. So, he'll make the patient sometimes, like, for one patient, he made them like copy his drawings. And he saw that, like, oh, like the patient's drawings is actually like perfectly um, reflective of what his drawings are. And in other other circumstances, yeah, he'd just make the patient like he'd um yeah, he just described little tests and examinations that he would do for a patient and how they respond to it and how they kind of handle day-to-day life and how they're still able to kind of function regardless of their diagnosis and sometimes even function better despite their diagnosis. So I thought I thought it was a really, really, really cool novel.
0: You say it's like quite an old book, but from the sounds of it, it's that like that focus on not just you know the patient and the disease and fixing it, but the actual full patient themselves. It seems quite, still quite um, relevant, uh, if, you know, in today's day and age. Especially when you know yeah. you're 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 working in that space, and you don't. And it, it, it's an important mindset to keep, like something to keep in mind, because you're dealing with so many patients and focusing on that. It seems like a very extremely relevant book. Um, yeah. Yeah. What's the I know that you had you you brought another book along with you, which and this book I personally, you know, absolutely loved when it came out. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this book?
1: Absolutely. So um this other book I brought up um I brought with me was uh growing up dis- dis- oh can't even speak. Growing up disabled in Australia by Carly Finley, who's a writer and also an activist. Um, It's exactly what the title suggests. It's an anthology of some original pieces. Um, I think she had 360 submissions initially from individuals that had disabilities of various forms. And uh, she narrowed it down to 46 original pieces that she's integrated into the book. Um, And like, I remember when I first picked up this book, I expected like a bleak sorrowful portrayal Um, I was expecting some form of like a tearjerker like it just seemed like something that was just going to be sad but I was going to learn from it it was just going to be something of that kind uh, in in terms of the genre and look I couldn't have been more wrong about it the book captures diversity and creativity amongst a community of individuals with disabilities and. I could not be more grateful to Carly Finlay for writing this book and um, that like for having the opportunity to be able to really um, indulge in this book. Um, It's a similar picture to what Oliver Sacks has done as well. The stories don't centre around the individual's disabilities. Um, It's very much about the individuals and the little kind of nuances of their personalities It's brought out through their different writing styles and their different like lives that they live. So it's more kind of just them telling the stories of their lives and their disability or impairment just happens to fall into that story. It's just part of that story. And I think that is so like such a practical application of the shift that we've had in terms of just not 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 calling it disabled and not calling them like disabled individuals that terminology shift from disabled individuals to individuals with disability and I think um that's just been so pronounced and so exemplified in this book uh, which I think is amazing um and I guess easiest way for me to do it um and the book a little bit of justice is to just give an example from the book and what i found super cool it's not written in a way where it's like oh let me introduce the character let me give you a climax and let's go to the conclusion um it's just not conventional at all so the writing is in several different formats you've got some that are written in like poetry some in prose some in letters and one of my favorite ones is the one by olivia muscat and it's like a series of short letters um, with some heavy satire. So Olivia Mascat is an um, individual that has um, complete blindness. And she says it herself in her writing. Um, she has a letter that she writes. She's like, dear. Um, I think she says something along the lines of like, dear. Um new acquaintances or strangers or something like that uh no i am not visually impaired no i'm not partially blind no i am not uh slightly unable to see what's going on like i am completely blind and i would appreciate if you stop being uncomfortable when i address much to that like i address myself as being just that because like this is the actual fact i don't want anyone to be misled um and then she finishes it off as being yours truly Olivia the completely blind like individual down the street bloody daddy da. so it's just like it's got like some heavy satire in it and it's just written in a way that's just so it it hits right I don't know how does it doesn't to shy get... away
0: sorry it doesn't shy away from the it doesn't
1: shy away but yes. but it makes
0: it normal it normalizes it in a it really important way
1: it. And yeah and I think like you um I'd love to hear as well like what um what parts what parts of the book that you find Nick are like really really resonated with you as well. Um,
0: yeah so I I kind of I can't, I came to this book in an, in an, in a very interesting way because my father he actually he is himself disabled. He had an accident on our on our farm and you know he's been disabled for the last you know for the last five years um and you know at first it can be quite a limiting you can feel like you're just something has happened to you you've taken a hit and nothing is the same again and it can be seen as this kind of enveloping all-encompassing experience that is horrifying and makes you feel awful but um you know obviously you learn to to live with it and grow and and find enjoyment and love in it and this book really kind of nailed that for me in terms of that like the point that you you raise about uh like the 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 book is filled with so much love it's not about you know here are the people who are disabled and here the here is an issue that needs to be addressed of course there are issues that need to be addressed but it's not just about That It's about um, the the enjoyment that I found in it was just that there is just they take the, you know, the issues they have, but it's not a disability necessarily. Some people have taken it and and crafted something incredible and amazing out -hmm. of it. Like the the work, the stuff that they have done, um, you know, is is genuinely incredible. Um, I really liked the the story of the uh, uh, Paralympian uh Isis Holt I believe her pronou- oh, yes. pronunciation is correct yes. like uh, hearing those story, hearing the stuff that that they're able to achieve I just thought you know no there is no limit there is no limit to what you can what you actually cannot you know achieve um the, the limits are only just how you choose to perceive it um though and that is something that I think really is particularly what resonated with me about this book um just this, the life and the life positive spirit that it kind of just exudes uh, throughout the entire book. It's a really beautiful uh, collection of stories. Um, and even down to the, the poetry and the art uh, that, you know, and I've been lucky enough to work in, a, you know, in a couple of schools where, um, you know, we, we had children with with disabilities. But some of the art that these kids would produce, like if, if they're on the spectrum, they would look at a particular situation, a completely different way and produce a drawing that was incredible or like a genuinely beautiful piece of work. So just the perspectives and new ways and no longer viewing it as a negative, not viewing the disability as a negative, but just as another way of, of existing and and the benefits that can come from that the positivity that can come from that, from that there are times where that can be actually be a ben- be of benefit um is something that i really loved reading this book
1: absolutely and i love what you said about possibilities because mm-hmm. i think that's exactly what this book does like it's just like you've got individuals like it's it's you know previously you only really see their success stories being, you know, when they're a Paralympian or, um, you know, sometimes it's just kind of glorified. Um, They're just, like, individuals with disabilities are only glorified when they're just completing usual day-to-day tasks. But there's just so much more, like, there's so much more to it. And there's so much more diversity to it. There are, Um, Individuals that are also queer, that are also also have like an ethnic background, like just because one one person has a particular disability and the other person does too doesn't mean that they're going to connect. It doesn't mean like that's not kind of the be-all end-all. There are so many other factors to consider in the equation. And I think this book does it so well without preaching. I think I I think people don't want to be preached to. They don't want to be told that what they're believing is wrong. And that's why I think satire and just also demonstration in um, through words and through images can have a really powerful effect because then people are just enjoying it and they're absorbing it naturally without feeling defensive and uh, having their initial preconceptions questioned.
0: Yeah, I agree. I definitely agree. It's it's definitely not a preachy book. It's just it's a book that's just filled with love. And yeah. so much so much love and enjoyment and it the, I think also the, the another kind of key message is that you cannot put people in a box. There is no way to do that because they will find a way to surprise you every single time and that is something that is wonderful and should be cherished and enjoyed, which is amazing. I love these book recommendations. Thank you so much, Tara. Um, Thank you. I love love that you're bringing these books uh, front and center. They're fantastic. Before we jump over to Guy to talk about the books that uh, he has brought along today, um, we actually have a sponsored book. Yes, we have a sponsored book yet again this week. Um, And our sponsored book is Corfu by Robert Desai. In a village on the island of Corfu, alone in a cottage of a man he's never met, A young Australian actor pieces together the strange life story of the Australian writer whose house he's living in. As he explores his surroundings and makes new friends, his own life begins to appear to him as an illuminating shadow play of his absent hosts. Set in the physical landscapes of the Greek islands, Adelaide, and in the suburbs of London, Robert Desai's second novel is about the nature of friendship, love, the ordinary, and the extraordinary. At its core is a perfectly placed meditation on literary landscapes um, and the part that art can play in making our lives beautiful. It is our sponsored book of the week and you can check it out right now uh, with links in the description uh, at booktopia.com.au. All right, Guy. Uh, having mentioned at the top of the podcast that you were until recently a bad quote unquote bad reader like myself, um, what books have you, uh, have you brought along this week to, to talk to us about?
2: Yeah, um, this is a hard act to follow. I think Tara, <laughs> Tara absolutely nailed her book analysis. Um, and I think as well, I'm going to start sort of introducing into my, my, uh, good reader revival, um, books that sort of center around patient experiences, because I, do, I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't necessarily understand about medicine is that you know as a as a patient it can be hard to understand why uh, interactions with doctors can be really unempathetic but going through that process and spending so long in the in the industry and and you know getting to the point where you do just sort of treat it as a job that empathy can be a little bit lost which emphasizes the importance of getting back in touch with empathetic patient experiences and putting yourself in the shoes of a patient and understanding their experience, which is something that can be done so powerfully through books. Um, so, yeah, there's been there's been a few really good book recommendations floating around. and um, But yeah, so I guess I, I thought in uh, in my in my revival of books, I'd, I'd start with a, a classic. Um, it's, it's probably not, not a lot of people have not read this book or at least don't know what it's about. Um, I started with 1984 because I thought I'd start myself in the deep end with some of the, some of the most dense um, and I guess complex world building that I, I personally think about exists. Um, but I think it was really interesting. Um, and I also sort of paired this with, with Animal Farm as well because um, I thought the two go really nicely hand in hand. Um, I mentioned before that I like a sort of political um, spin on the books and that I want to sort of read and digest. Um, And yeah, I think that this sort of nailed that brief. Um, 1984, for those that don't know, if there's anybody out there that doesn't know. um, Yeah, it's a a, um, dystopian world back from whenever with George Orwell wrote the book from um back in 1984 which doesn't seem so dystopian now um where political power is everything and um the quote-unquote the party which is a sort of big brother style uh influence over everybody's lives just uses um thought control to sort of control how everybody feels and how how they're managing to stay in power and i think the interesting thing to me is that it's a very very extreme example of things that are very much happening today um we see a lot of thought control and I, it, what's most interesting to me is that i'm actually learning about it in my master of public health course um thought control is a very valid way of maintaining power um in that where maintaining power means getting voters to vote for you um you, instead of just doing what your constituents and what your voters want you to do you change their wants and you do that through you know, political means, media um, and propaganda, things like that. Um, and it happens all around us. And I think there's there's a lot of connections that, um, you know, are unseen or um, are even completely overt, but they're not necessarily well-recognized. Um, and it, yeah, in, in 1984, it gets to the point where they, they change fact and they change history um, and they, but they do so in a way where they retroactively also change Things like newspapers and and articles and books um and the main character's whole job is literally just to take words away and put them replace them with other words um and he thinks about you know changes that have happened and and things that once were compared to the things that now are just because somebody has told them that they're different and he knows that things now are not what they used to be but also all of the evidence and all of the 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 writing and the the news and everything says that that's the way it's always been. And so he ha- he knows what's real, but also there's no evidence as well. And it m- mucks with his own sort of perception of what is real. Um, yeah, and I thought it was really interesting. Um, yeah, I-, I suppose in comparison, I found Animal Farm quite on the nose. Um, it's still about <laughs> power and politics, but it's it's uh, the-, the metaphor is very, very clear, I guess.
0: They are both classics for a reason. I think I reckon there are some. It, it's it's I view I see 1984 as very much. I mean, a lot of the the modern comparisons would be something like Black Mirror, um, yeah. which I think is literally just copying 1984. How many how many fantastic dystopian books just copy the work that you know George Orwell did uh, in 1984? Um, and it's increasingly relevant. It feels more relevant now with with the with the world of of misinformation and, and disunity that we seem to be in right now. Uh, that it, it's more it feels more relevant and more timely than ever. Um which you know that's that's the sign of a, of a good book that it makes you that sticks with you and makes you feel something um you know long after it was published. Um Absolutely. yeah um and I love that you you've included Animal Farm here as well. That's a a personal Orwellian favorite of mine. Um particularly it's there is so much, there is so much interesting examination. It seems like such a simple, but also kind of strange concept, and yet, and yet it just works. the the whole The whole idea, um, and the political anecdotes and, and connotations are associated just on something as sim- simple as a farm, uh, and ha- and what he does with it is is such an interesting book. Fantastic examples would, of politics.
2: I think I also like thematically that it's sort of framed as a as a, almost like a children's novel, but yeah. it's... Yeah. Quite horrific in the themes that it explores. Um, like what's the what's the cartoon about the the rabbits in the, oh, in, the uh, uh, in their warren that's uh, like
0: Watership Down. Watership, Watership Down. Down.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where it's it's very much looks like a children's film, and so many people like got hooked into it because they thought it was a children's film, and it is not. And then you oh, watch
0: goodness. it. and <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> there is a lot of blood in that film. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: I can't believe that they wrote it at G when it came out. There's nothing unsuitable for children here. And lo and behold.
2: <laughs> I don't actually think they watched the film.
0: No, they uh, didn't.
2: No. I, I thought I'd bring the book I'm, I'm in the middle of at the moment. And I will preface by saying that I am in the middle of it. And I haven't finished it, but I think it's very interesting. <laughs> um, it's All My Friends Are Invisible by Jonathan Jolly. It was recommended to me by my girlfriend who, uh, I guess, consumes Jonathan Jolly's content um, on YouTube and social media. Um, And so I went into it quite blind, not really knowing who Jonathan Jolly was, Um, but it's his memoir about growing up um, and he essentially doesn't identify with the gender binary that he grew up in Um, and amongst things like bullying and abuse, um, his way, his escapism was to sort of create a world for himself and to create friends that exist within that world that I guess Uh, you know let him validate his feelings and and allow him to to live in a world that isn't real but is feels to him more real than reality um and i just think it's really interesting and i guess um you know i don't know it's even just from a health perspective i i know that um there's a lot of people that sort of feel very similarly and there's a lot of people that identify with not just um you know his his experiences from a gender and sexuality perspective but also from a trauma and abuse perspective um and I think seeing that on paper is very eye-opening um so yeah I also think it's interesting sort of reading about his experiences and knowing that a lot of those experiences are not necessarily uncommon but then mixing those experiences with um you know his his gender and his sexuality um and how much extra vulnerability that gives him, I guess, um, he has three siblings who grow up, grew up in a very similar environment. Um, but their experience was very different because they, they didn't have the same sort of vulnerabilities that he was experiencing. Um, so yeah, I would probably say it should come with us a bit of a trigger warning if you wanted to read it, but, um, yeah, I've, I've been finding it extremely interesting.
0: I love that there are so many books, there are more books like this out there. Um, that are kind of talking about this particular subject because, that, particularly around the idea of identity, I think there's on on subjects of of sexuality and particularly, you know, trans, the work, the, the struggles that that transgender people have to have to go through, you know, not just in the wider world, but just figuring out who they are is something that I think should, is that really needs to be to be brought forward a lot more. Um, this book sounds amazing um, and incredibly, again. Very timely for, for the times that we're in now because it only came out about a month or so ago, um, which is really, so hopefully it can, people can check it out and see it and see it uh, and, and hopefully get something out of this book as well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Guy. I uh, love these recommendations and I love the fact that you're, you're diving into classics, but you're diving into, into new books as well. It's good.
2: Yeah, the variety, I, you know, I'm, I'm all about it. <laughs>
0: Um, So before we finish up our show, I usually like to close out these kind of, uh, you know, these book discussions with some fun little ridiculous questions about books, um, which I'll now throw to you both. And Guy, I'll I'll kick this question to you first. Um, What is the perfect idea of a night with a book for you?
2: Interesting. Um, It's got to have a view, I think. Um, I'd imagine myself like, you know, one of those... um, those benches that sits on like the edge of a cliff and you just oh, yes. watch all the the rocks and the water underneath you. Um, yeah, I'd sit out there, I'd have a little, little table with a candle on it, I think. Um, and I'd probably enjoy it more if it wasn't night, because then you could actually see things. But, um, even if it were night, I think that, you know, watching the moonlight on the, on the, on the ocean while you're reading, I think it set helps to set the scene with whatever it is that you're reading, I guess. Yeah. it
0: oh, sounds soothing. Tara, is that similar to you or are you all about are you all about have a different vibe around what you when you like to read?
1: Oh gosh. I I mean I thought I had a different vibe, but then guys started describing it and I'm like, actually I kind of like that. Yeah. Um I I would say like for me, it'd be definitely yeah, in the dark would be a really nice place. I feel like in an ideal world you could get the lighting correct and you'd be able to kind of read in the dark but not have your the shadow of your head in the way of the book like if Mm. that could be achieved i feel like that would be the perfect setting in a hammock kind of in the middle of nowhere (laughs) just like reading a very serene book because i feel like that's the kind of environment you want when you're trying to imagine Mm. something no
0: no sound no nothing just Uh, you in the hammock
1: yeah me hammock and crickets
2: I like that. That sounds I nice. think it's an undervalued market, either night vision goggles for the sake of reading or glow-in-the-dark books, both mm. of which would probably solve your problem, but not in the way that you may be intended. See.
0: Um, here's another question. Uh, if, and this is to throw out for both of you, what is one book in your opinion, whether it be fiction or non-fiction, that nails representation of the medical space? Like one book, if you could name it.
2: I think that's really hard because I don't know if there is one book that nails all representation in the medical space. I think that's kind of, there's so much diversity in the field. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there's so much diversity in the field and everybody's experience is so completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Medicine, I guess, not only are we diverse as workers in the medical space, but also the patients that we interact with are entirely diverse as well. Um, And even with the specialties that each person goes into and the sort of field that they end up in uh no two experiences are the same so yeah I'm, i i kind of think that yeah raises the importance of experiencing loads of books that do different representation in different ways um i don't know i know that sounds like a cop out but
0: no if I, actually the more the more i'm thinking about it, the more i'm going well actually that makes that makes sense so maybe it's an impossible it's impossible to nail it um to impossible to nail the experiences in, in one particular book unless you disagree Tara is there a book that you can think of off the top of your
2: head
1: gosh I don't I don't think I can disagree with Guy he <laughs> pretty much said it said it all Um, and I think like I'd extend it to it's even like within the same person like mm. one person in medicine it depends on the day like I can read emotional female one day and be like oh my gosh this speaks to my soul like yes I feel like medicine like is taking away my voice and like la-di-da-di-da and like i can go on all sorts of rants then other days i'm like oh my gosh like it's a little bit of a this is going to hurt kind of day like medicine's like funny everything's fun everything's cool like it's quite comedic so i I feel like it depends on if you ask like is it a monday or is it a thursday um and the the type of person you're asking as well Mm. which i think is what's fun about medicine it's like You've got so many different seasons to it. Like it does. Like yes, it's um em- it's emotionally um, draining, but like I think it also keeps it so exciting.
0: Love it. Great response. Happy with that. Even if I didn't get a book out of it, <laughs> I res- I res- I appreciate that. Option E. <laughs> um, if you have, or if you if you if you have a bookshelf at home, how do you choose to organize it? Do you do it alphabetically? Do you do it by genre? <laughs> by category? by color uh, or is it just a matter of where the book goes what I'll throw to you first Tara how do you categorize your bookshelf
1: oh right now I don't have the capacity to categorize my bookshelf's too small I need to take another trip to Ikea <laughs> all right well how about future cool.
0: future hypothetical bookshelf in your future oh, mansion hypothetical bookshelf. yes we can I do well, we can extend definitely that
1: Definitely do color like oh like if I could I would organize my book Kind of spines in a way that would make a picture oh like yeah, and just like change nice. it month by month like i feel like that'd be such a cool like art form almost mm. like an art piece and just like make that happen and then reorganize my books again oh. and like kind of like every six months kind of thing so in a hypothetical house where i have that ladder and like six levels of books kind of like spanning upwards into the side yeah yes that's that's proper
0: chef's kiss level, exactly. Like, book, bookshelf goals. I appreciate that. I'm coming over. I'm coming over to your future house in the future yeah. <laughs> to check out your sure. bookshelf. Uh, Guy, do you have a, a similar approach to your actual or hypothetical bookshelf?
2: So this is going to sound really disappointing. My actual bookshelf involves piling the books, not even spine forward. Um, it's really oh, horrible. Like I'm looking at it now. I wish you could see it, and it's like it's yeah it's like a sin absolutely <laughs> um so apologies to that but uh my my hypothetical bookshelf which is probably a lot more um to the point of the question um i i like the idea of arranging books in almost like a theme or, or grouping them by how you feel about them almost like songs in a playlist like you know how you create mm. different playlists for different moods so nice. um it's not so much yeah like a, alphabetized or or chronological or anything i want to be able to look at the bookshelf and think what's my mood and what what do i feel like reading and then go for it from there and i also kind of i'm one of those people i guess in the same way of ordering songs in a playlist i really like the idea of comparing things and and looking at pros and cons and figuring out what's my favorite and why and if i like two things equally for different reasons what are those reasons and things like that and i think ordering a bookshelf would be an interesting exercise in doing that
0: it's a vibe i like that it's a Very vibe amazing. we had yeah We when we had miko sock on the um, sydney university media and communication society one of the responses that one of their guests adam had was yeah it's all vibe based just what book feels good next to what book i like that That's I mean, perfect, make... yeah yeah i like that um last question you are in a lecture that has been going for three hours and you're tired slash bored slash amazed the lecturer can speak in such a monotone voice so consistently. Do you read your textbook? I, I, If so, tell me what the textbook is, or do you have a sneaky other cheat book that you bring to the class to help pass the time? And if so, what is that book? Guy, I'm going to throw it to you first for this one.
2: Oh, look, if I'm being completely honest, I'd, I'd definitely do something that wasn't even remotely based on the lecture. I'd be like <laughs> writing scripts for med review or playing a flash game on my laptop. But um, I think, well, firstly, if we're talking about like study materials that get the job done, it's definitely whatever notes have been passed down previous years. <laughs> um, they, they are 100% the best and they're the, the most tailored to your Absolutely. your course. Um, but I, I'm a big fan of the textbook that organizes things in a way that, like works with my brain I guess mm. that's why I think like having such a variety like everybody's like I want one textbook that does you know that just tells me everything and teaches me everything but I don't know if that exists because you've got to find a textbook that like works really well for you for me that was Murtagh's, um Murtagh's GP I, I just found the way that he categorized things and, and almost w- like talked you through a thought process when you find a symptom and then you know go through what What's the most common things that it could be? What are the things you definitely can't miss? Um, you know, what are the things that uh, everybody gets wrong about this? I'd probably rather be talked through that um, than than listen to somebody talk in a monotone voice for an hour, three hours on end. That sounds like hell. Um, don't make me do that, even for for the sake of an exercise.
0: Uh, Tara, are you in a similar in a similar headspace, or do you bring a cheat book or or a sneaky little like? you know, uh other book to 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 pass the time.
1: Gosh, um, I haven't been in a lecture for a while, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's bringing back traumatic memories. Um, I like I have tried to do other things in lectures, but I honestly can't multitask. I think that's just one thing that I'm like, I I wish like if I could have a superpower it'd be to be able to multitask. I can't. I've tried. So when I do try to do activities, I I try to do something that's a complete opposite of what's happening. So I end up trying to learn Portuguese or like looking at like guitar chords or like something like that in a lecture. But in an ideal setting, assuming that I could like concentrate and like kind of zone myself out a little bit, study resource wise, I'd probably go towards like something like Anki decks. Just like spatial, um, spatial learning, where you're just kind of looking at flashcards and mm. you've got different um, questions that, and usually like it's stuff that people have passed down, like Guy said from previous years. Because I think I, that's that's the great thing about the culture, like within within medical schools, is that everyone is quite sharing. I don't know if I'm saying that from more like the uni I'm from, <laughs> but I'm I'm sure like from what Guy's saying and from what I've heard from other. Other medical students, in. there's just a huge culture of like, if I make something, I'm going to share it with everyone and everyone can enjoy these resources as well. So, yeah, I would definitely just kind of play around with Anki, something that's just easy to process in the moment.
0: Love it. <laughs> Love it. Great, great solution. Wish
1: there was a book in there, but I'll <laughs> <laughs> no, answer that one. <laughs> I appreciate
0: it. I appreciate your approach Uh, because normal some of the experiences that i've had from personal experience i just find myself trying my my hardest not to fall asleep but i would fall asleep (laughs) um would be the perfect perfect way to get to sleep um but i appreciate that and thank you all thank you both for for coming on the podcast today it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you both talking about the incredible work that amsa does Um, and also kind of, you know, giving our listeners a bit of a delve into the actual medical space that uh, hopefully they can go and check out for themselves. Um, So thank you both so much. It's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you both on.
1: Vice versa, Nick. Thank you so much for having us on board. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we've really enjoyed this experience. Um, I could see it in Guy's face as well. Um from, from the very beginning um of you doing your vocal bloopers, um vocal exercises. <laughs> we I hope you include that in the final edit. Final well, I'm
0: gonna edit. have to now. Yeah. I'm gonna have to put it as I'm have to put it at <laughs> put the end it. as like a as a as a,
1: little as a small
0: little blooper. Yeah. <laughs> oh it's, it's a done deal. Um yeah, but thank you so much. It's, it's been a real pleasure. So for all of our listeners, you can check out all the work that AMSAR does. Uh, I'll include their website in the description. And if you need books, uh, we currently have a back to uni sale actually going on at Booktopia. So you can get all of your books and texts and everything right now using our textbook finder, which I'll include. If you just want to buy books in general, you know, whether it be texts or books that you need to escape from textbooks, uh, Booktopia is a good website. It has a whole bunch of stuff. You should go check it out. Um, help me keep a job. It's, uh, it's much appreciated. So you can stay tuned for our next couple of episodes next week, where we'll be also breaking our, you know, traditional format of, uh, of authors on Wednesday and book discussions on Friday. And we'll be doing two book discussions. What are they going to be about? Well, you're just going to have to wait to find out. Thanks for listening and never stop reading. I'm a thistle sifter. i have a pair of sifted thistles and a pair of unsifted thistles because I'm a thistle sifter.
1: It's <clears throat> this your exercise each time.
0: La, 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 la. I used to be an acapella, so I also have to like you do, like, <laughs> la, 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 I will take my sword and run it through your ass. Keep your eyes on me, boys, because I'm about to strike. <clears throat> Shrek always
2: helps,
1: too. <clears throat> I wish you'd take us through these exercises. I feel like they'd be useful. <laughs>
2: <clears throat> right.
1: Was that was that last
2: one from Shrek 2? Is that?
0: It was from it was uh we, oh, it was from the first. Oh one. no! It's from the Merry Men in Shrek. Oh it is goodness. that's
2: the one. We just, so many... we just came back from our executive retreat where we all sat on the couch and watched Shrek. It Isn't was it amazing. four
1: a.m. Monday, <laughs> <laughs> like
2: four o'clock in the morning. It was so good. <laughs>